All right. Okay. Welcome to the workshop, Adjusting the Rudder, Small Sustainable Changes. My name is Sarita. I am a compulsive overeater and the moderator for this session. Before we begin, please turn off your cell phones and pagers. This workshop is being taped. All opinions expressed by those who share are their own and not necessarily those of OA as a whole. The format for this session is a reading, two speakers, ask it basket questions, and sharing on the topic. A basket with paper and pencil will be circulated for you to write any questions you may have for the speakers. Please specify whom your question is for. The reading is from OA 12 and 12, page 89. A persistent effort to let go of our defects and change our actions will be crucial to our recovery from here on. As we become aware of shortcomings through the inventory process, there are several actions we can take to be rid of them. One such action would be to imagine how we might behave if we do not have a particular defect. We could picture ourselves in the circumstances where we have acted out our shortcomings, but see ourselves acting differently this time. Anything we can imagine we can do with the help of our higher power. We might even speak the new words or act out the improved set of behaviors just for practice. Through this kind of action, we daily affirm to ourselves that we can change and are changing with God's help. At first, we may slip back into the old ways in moments of pressure, but we won't let this discourage us. We've spent a lifetime learning to do things the old ways, so of course the old behaviors will feel much more natural to us at first. As time goes on, however, God will help us let go of our defects and replace them with positive habits of thinking and acting. God will, that is, if we persist in doing whatever we can to change. Um, our first speaker is Annette from Long Beach, who will speak for 25 minutes. Thank you. There we go. My name's Annette. I'm a compulsive overeater. And I want to thank Violet for asking me to come and share with you today. It's always an honor and a pleasure to share my experience, strength, and hope at an OA um, convention or anything, at an OA meeting with a sponsee, anybody uh, that will listen to me. <laughs> and Okay. Um, I'd like to start with the numbers because that was always important to me. I came here to lose weight. I didn't come here to get spiritual. I didn't come here to adjust the udders. I didn't come here to, you know, do any of that. I just came here to lose weight. I got here, I was 252 pounds, and I uh, smoked four, three to four packs of cigarettes a day and uh, used uh, drugs and alcohol and whatever, bit my nails to the quick, and did everything I could to not feel and not do life on life's terms. Um, but I got here in 1985, July of 1985. This month is 20 years. I've been in Overeaters Anonymous. And I have, thank you very much. And today is what, July 9th? So I have 29 days and nine years of continuous abstinence. And um, I'm really grateful to be here. The, <clears throat> I 
guess, uh, he asked me to stay on topic here, and it's about, uh, this is about step 10, comes out of step 10, the reading, and it talks about uh, letting go of defects. And one of the things it says in this reading is it talks about um, changing our actions and that we can take action to change our actions. And I never really knew that before. And one of the things it says on this, the, this page is something that I've been practicing recently, at least in the last uh, couple of years, I've been really trying to practice taking action in changing my behavior. Because what I found was that I've been in OA for 20 years, and I've got nine years of abstinence. So that means I've had a couple of relapses along the way. And what I found was the weight loss alone, which is what I came here for, wasn't going to sustain me, you know, throughout the, to stay abstinent. That wasn't, just doing a food plan or just not eating or being on a diet wasn't going to keep me here and keep me abstinent. You know, what I had to do, and I was having a real hard time with the God thing because I, you know, I got here and the God thing just wasn't, you know, it, it wasn't something that that was easy for me. When I when I was a child, I was sent to uh, Catholic school, catechism, and it was really interesting that my parents sent me there because my my mother was my father's second wife, and anybody who's a Catholic knows that they were excommunicated from the church, so they couldn't go with me, so they would just send me to the church, and to me, God was a subject. You know, just like math, arithmetic, spelling, <laughs> something like that. And I could get an A in it, you know, just like anything else. Because I could memorize prayers. You know, I could whatever I had to do. So it wasn't really um, a, a God, you know, of my understanding. It wasn't one. So I, I, I had a real hard time with that. And really, like I said, when I got here, I just really wanted to lose the weight and be rich. And, you know, and, and uh, right, lose the weight, be rich, and look good. You know, I didn't even really care about the other stuff. So I had to find a way to um, really, uh, and, and it's only in the last couple of years that I realized that I have to change my behavior. You know, and I don't, and then I, it's like I can't change my behavior. How do I just change my behavior? And that's kind of like, well, I have to stop eating compulsively. Well, how do I just stop eating compulsively? And so I love this line here uh, where it says, uh, one such action that we can take. It's talking about an action that we can take. It says we can, uh, one such action we could take would be to imagine how we might behave if we didn't have this defect. And that's like, oh, whoa, what an idea. See, I have this defect of impatience, intolerance, and, you know, you don't get it, and I'm, I, I, I don't do well with that. And I'll give you a little story with that. I'm not proud of it, but I'm going to share it with you because it's where I come from. Um, <clears throat> I'm an employer. I have a business, and somebody worked for me, and she um, did something with, I, I don't know, she was making a label to send something out to somebody, and she uh, put it on an eight and a half piece by eleven piece of paper, and cut out this thing and taped it on an envelope and mailed it out. And I watched her do this, 
and I was like, you know, my head was spinning and green spiel was coming out because I'm wondering, you know, how much it's costing me for her to do every label. And I asked her, I said, are you, do you do this every week? And it's the same label that goes out every week to the same customer, set of customers. There's like ten of them. And she proudly said, yes. And I just looked at her and said, were you this fucking stupid when I hired you? That's where I come from. Okay? So I share this with you not because, well, first I have to recognize this is not acceptable behavior on my part. And it's not that maybe she didn't do something stupid, but, you know, can't really, you know, I couldn't keep employees. I was having a real hard time. <laughs> Nobody wanted to work for me, and I couldn't figure it out. And it's like, you know, I think, <laughs> thank you, Jennifer. My, my sponsor said, well, gee, Annette, what's the common denominator here? <laughs> you know, it was me. So I had to do be the one willing to change. And I had to figure out, you know, how can I change? And it says, the, the next paragraph, which was not read in this, it says, as with the fourth step inventory, tenth step inventory may uncover aspects of our past with which we need professional help. And it says, our OA friends are sympathetic and loving, but few are trained to recognize and deal with deeply rooted psychological problems and OA is not the place to get that help. Well, I did not want to be one of those people who had to go up for outside help, but it is in outside help that I was able to start to recognize, you know, that this is the behavior. I want to change the behavior, and I got help with someone who can tell me how I could change the behavior. And it's interesting that it's right here in the OA literature, but I could never find it you know, that I could imagine. And this is one of the things that she tells me. You can imagine how you would act if you were to act like somebody you think you should act like, you know. And it's like, oh, okay, well, if I imagined it, I could say, oh, gee, that's an interesting way to make labels. How about the one there's 30 on a sheet with the Avery labels? Let's try that. You know, it might work. And and, and then, you know, I could watch somebody else maybe with a light bulb go on and go, oh, wow, you're right, I can make 30 of them all at once and, you know, just tape it on. And, and, and be, you know, loving and, and a teacher and a mentor instead of the way that I learned it. You know, it's like, and that's what, what it is for me sometimes. It's, it's about how would I know any better? You know, because in most of us, act the way we were taught. And so we have to make small changes in order for us to change. You know, and sometimes it just starts out with imagining, you know, what that change looks like. And so that's what it is for me. You know, I get to imagine. And I, uh, um, I in fact, I see somebody here who helped me make a change. One day, uh, Corey is in the audience, and he said, gee, Annette, I see you out riding your bicycle, but you don't wear a helmet. And my initial reaction to that is, fuck you. I don't need to, <laughs> I don't need to wear a helmet. I'm invincible. Now, here's somebody trying to be loving to me. Do I know how to do that? You know, I don't know how to do that. And so the, a second person said the same thing. You know, and she said it to me in terms I understood. It was actually somebody who worked for me said, gee, Annette, you go out and ride a bicycle and you're not wearing a helmet. 
I want to keep my job, and if you're dead, I won't have it. I get it, you know. <laughs> but just somebody saying you're going to crack your head open or, you know, I don't want to see you crack your head open for no reason other than, you know, I love you or whatever, I, I just don't get it. So I get to make, you know, a small change. You know, I get to do change the act, behavior, the actions, you know, that I do in a small way. And the truth is, I was out riding a bicycle once, and I got hit by a car opening their door and went flying out in the middle of the road. You know, I could have been killed had I not had my helmet on. <laughs> so, you know, I was kind of glad. So thanks, Corey. You saved my life. You know, as many people in this program have saved my life. Um, you know, and the, the place, it's just amazing to me today that after having been here 20 years, the changes that have taken place. There, I can remember things that I have done that I wouldn't even think about doing today. You know, there, there are um, some of you, how many of you know about my 38s? 38? No. <laughs> no. All right, 32s. <laughs> Adjusting the others, right? <laughs> okay. Um, how many know my 38 stories? Oh, there's a couple in here, but the most of you don't. Okay. Before I got here to Overeaters Anonymous, I used to carry a gun in my car because I was a little bit angry, you know? <laughs> and, and I used to come here and hear people talk about being uh, suicidal. Not this girl. Homicidal. You know, I was not the problem. It was, you know, if you changed the way you acted, I'd be fine. So um, one day I was going into a, uh, does anybody remember the stop and goes? Before 7-Eleven, we had stop and goes. Well, anyway, I was on my way into a stop and go, and there was a, a low rider in front of me, and he was taking a very long time to get into that, just, you know, dragging his, 56 Chevy in the parking lot there, and finally got in, and I screeched around him, and I parked my car, and I went, was started to get out. In the meantime, he had come over, and this guy says to me, you fat bitch. Well, I had my 38 right there. Pulled it out. You should have seen how fast he got out of that parking lot. He didn't care that that low riding car <laughs> was scraping the bottom, and there was fire. You know, as he was leaving the parking lot. And it wasn't until, really, you know, that I got back to the car, I was shaking. And I thought, I was going to kill him. I was going to kill him for calling me a fat bitch. And he wasn't worth it. You know, he just wasn't worth it. But my solution was that I just didn't carry the gun in my car anymore <laughs> because I couldn't be trusted. It wasn't... I wasn't feeling remorse that I wanted to kill him. I was feeling remorse that I might go to jail if I got caught. You know, that's, that's where I, so that's where I come from. Now, that's something I wouldn't even think about today. You know, I wouldn't even think about shooting someone, I, I don't think. You know, I haven't thought that in a long time. But, um, again, part of the action was, you know, me making a small change like not carrying the gun, you know, was helped me to not pull it out on somebody for a very small reason. So, um, and I, I, I have to do that on a daily basis here because 
what the literature tells me is that I have a daily reprieve. In fact, I was just talking to somebody that I sponsored this morning. It doesn't say anything about I have a weekly reprieve or a monthly reprieve or an annual reprieve. You know, I have a daily reprieve, and it's it's contingent on my spirit, my spiritual uh, maintenance. And for me, what is spiritual maintenance? Um, spiritual maintenance is behaving in a way that's acceptable to me. You know, and it doesn't matter what society thinks. It's is it acceptable to me? And usually, when I'm not nice, I don't feel good about me. You know, and that's the, where in the problem lies. You know, is me not feeling good about me? So if I have, if I behave in these ways that you know I've mentioned here, I start. What I have to do then is defend it. And when I wind up defending my behavior, when especially if I have poor behavior, I'm in trouble. You know, I'm in big trouble. But I've had to, you know, that's what I am. I'm a defender. I will defend myself, my behavior, my actions, and it's 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 pride. You know, pride, and um, I don't know if it's ego so much, but it, it's pride. It's not wanting to be um, a bad person. It's not wanting to do something wrong. It's not wanting to. It, it, it's wanting to look good. That's what it is. It's not wanting to look bad. You know, and if I defend it and say it's not bad, there I have no chance of recovering from it. You know, I have no chance when I'm defending bad behavior. And if I uh, if I can just be willing to acknowledge that the behavior see for me part of the trick is too, and this is also an action to change my behavior with myself. What I might do is I might recognize that. Uh, there's a behavior that's unacceptable, and <clears throat> I call it behavior. The books call it defects. You know, I, I don't know if I like that word. They are defects. You know, I mean, I have to recognize it that it's not acceptable. But I like to, because I will beat myself up, and most many of us will. I don't think I've sponsored one person in this program who doesn't carry, you know, a two by four to knock themselves in the head with. Well, I got news for you. I got one. I'll do it. You know, you don't need to do it yourself. No, I'm just kidding. I'm trying to get away from that. Being, you know, learning how to be loving and gentle, and that's a real trick for somebody who never had that. You know, if you've never had that kind of treatment, you don't know how to give it. You know, you can't give away something you haven't got. So all you can do is maybe imagine what it would be like if you didn't have the bad behavior and you had the good behavior and then try to act it out, you know. And we've heard in this program, act as if. I'm so happy I get to do that, you know, because I used to think that would be being a phony, act as if. But sometimes that's what I have to do here because I don't know, I, I don't know how to do it unless I practice it. And, and that goes for anything that I, I might try to do. Um, you know, I'd, I'd like to learn how to play the flute. And I thought uh, that when I got a flute, I should just be able to play it. Well, I got this flute, and I blew in the hole, and nothing came out. You know, there's not even, and I thought I had plenty of air. But I didn't have enough for that flute. 
So, you know, I'm going to have to learn how to do that. And I'm going to have to practice doing it to get good at it. And um, anyway, I started with the, the clobbering. You know, what I'll do is I'll recognize that behavior is bad or unacceptable and then beat myself up for, oh, I shouldn't act that way. I shouldn't do, you know, uh-uh, bang, bang, bang. But what I have to do now is just notice that behavior and say, well, wait a minute. How do I feel, you know, when I act that way? Well, it's me who doesn't feel good about me. It's me who feels, you know, like, gee, I don't want to be a mean person. You know, I want, I want to be a nice person. And the best, that, the best person that I can be today, and this is going to sound corny. No, it would, to me it sounded, I think I heard Ida almost 20 years ago talk about um, the highest goal she got or the highest goal she attained was being of service in Overeaters Anonymous. And I just went, <laughs> not me. You know, I've got, I, I might do, win a Nobel Peace Prize, you know, because I'm pretty brilliant and I'm this and I'm that. And I'm, you know, being just, all I want to do is lose weight and look good so that when I got up there to take my awards, you know, <laughs> that, uh, <laughs> that I'd look good doing it. <laughs> but uh, I never, ever thought in a million years, you know, that I might, my highest goal, my highest achievement would be to be an Overeaters Anonymous and to be of service to another compulsive overeater. And you know what? I can tell you today, that's my highest achievement. The best thing that I can do today, the happiest I am, is when I can help another compulsive overeater to obtain abstinence and maintain abstinence and work the program of, of Overeaters Anonymous, the 12 steps you know, through OA, through the fellowship, because, um, you know, for me, there is no, I was miserable. I was miserable. Who's watching my time so I know who to look at here? Oh, you guys are in for it. <laughs> okay. Well, five more minutes. Okay, thank you. Are you doing that? No. Okay. I will. Okay, good. Because I'm, I'm afraid, you know, I can go on and on and on and on and on and on and on. They should have another program for people like me. And I'm sure you've all heard of it, on and on anonymous. <laughs> you know, I have, uh, I told you I, I, I'm an employer and I have, um, I, I go to therapy. And one of my employees I take to therapy with me every once in a while so she can have a safe place to tell me what she needs to tell me. Because I might blow up, you know. <laughs> so... Um, she told me the other day that, uh, she says, you know, Annette, what makes me feel so stupid when you, is when you tell me something, you just go on and on and on. You keep saying the same thing this way, that way, the other way. So I started feeling bad, you know, clobbering myself. Oh, damn, there you are. Just can't do this right. God damn. And I just want to cry. And, and then, you know, I, and then I realized, well, okay, she's right. I do do that. And she says, you know what, you do it with the customers, too. And I'm like, okay, well, great. You know, this is not good. <laughs> and, so, and she says, um, <clears throat> and I said, well, okay. So then I thought, I went to a gentle place with myself, and I said, what can I do? You know, what can I do? What action can I take? Well, I could tell myself, well, just don't go on and on and on. Well, you know what, that's not possible, because I don't even know when I'm doing it. So somehow somebody has to tell me. 
But if they yell at me and say, Annette, you're going on and on and on. What am I going to do? I'm going to defend myself. You know, so I'm going to, I'm like stuck here. So what I did is I said, you know what? I think you're right. I do go on and on. So here's what I'd like you to do. I'd like you to help me. When I start going on and on, and that, lots of you out there know me, and you know I can do this, so I'm giving you guys the heads up too, okay? When I start going on and on, just say, I got it. <laughs> I got it. And it's like, yes, because I can handle that. It's not attacking me. I don't feel like I have to defend myself. But I can't just do it on my own, so I need your help. You know, I need to ask other people to help me. And that's another change. You know, coming into this program, I could do it on my own. I didn't, I didn't want to need you. I wanted to be able to do it alone. I never related to when people talked about fear. You know, they were afraid. I wasn't afraid. I'd fucking kill you if you got in my face. Or you better plan on killing me because one of us is going to die. You know, and that's, but I didn't understand the fear, you know, that we talked about, you know, that people talked about in these rooms. And that fear is, you know, that I might need you. I might be vulnerable. And today, you know, I get to let myself just a little bit be vulnerable. And after 20 years, you know, I get to have nine years of abstinence. Thank you. Thank you, Annette. Our second speaker is Shirley from Sunnyvale, who will speak for 25 minutes. Hi, my name is Shirley. I'm a real recovering compulsive overeater. I'm going to do a little bit of show and tell since most of you people um, haven't heard me share before. I'm from uh, Sunnyvale, um, over there by the San Jose area. And anyway, when I came into program, um, it will be 13 years and eight days. Um, these were the pants I wore, um, and I fully did stretch this elastic out. Uh, they're um, 18 to 20, and they're now about um, eight pant sizes too big for me. So just to qualify, um, in February of 1992, I tipped the scales at 240 pounds. Um, and I weigh, I uh, measure about five, two and a half. And anyone who is petite knows that there's no way that you can camouflage 240 pounds and still look good. Um, so um, today I'm maintaining about... 118 to 120 pounds from my highest weight. Thanks. And that has truly been only possible by the grace of my higher power. You know, and I have to tell you um, how sick I am, just in case anybody's wondering. Um, 
there's a part of me that thinks that this weight is not good enough because I'm not exactly half of my highest weight. And um, anyway, uh, I recently had a discussion um, with my sponsor about that. And um, she goes, look, we decided what, you know, your weight should be. It can be plus or minus three pounds on either side of your number. And you're right, you're right there at the number. So, you know, no, you're fine. And if you think you need to uh, take off any more weight, there's someone here um, on the convention committee. She says, now, I want you to go talk to her because, <laughs> you know, and that woman, she said to me, she goes, Shirley, you're thin enough. <laughs> so um, anyway, the way that I found my way to the rooms of Overeaters Eaters Anonymous was in July of 1992. I went to see a medical doctor. And she was the one that carried the message to me. Um, and the thing of it is, I had never, ever heard of 12-step recovery before. I didn't have a clue what Overeaters Anonymous was. And so I said, what is OA? And she told me. And I go, well, what do you want me to go <laughs> And she said, well, a woman who's carrying over 100 pounds on her body, there's a reason why you're eating. And Overeaters Anonymous is the place to go to that will help you for the emotional. And she wanted me to do this commercial weight diet, which is still in existence. It operates on the West Coast, the East Coast, anywhere in the world. And no matter how many times I have tried that particular food plan, it has not worked for me. Um, it works for my sponsor, but it doesn't work for me. And so I just had to let that go. Basically what happened was when I first came into program, um, well, actually it started in the late 70s. I had been diagnosed as a manic, and today I'm treated as a bipolar. And um, something happened. And I got really scared. And I was on this food plan, you know, I was sticking to my food plan, I was doing the exercise, and then after 107 pounds came off, I got scared because everybody noticed me. And there wasn't any place I could go. I couldn't go to the grocery store, I couldn't get my hair done, my husband couldn't get his hair done. Um, it was unbelievable, and I got really scared. And what happened was I got really cocky. I got really complacent. And the big book talks about that. And the acronym for denial is don't even know when I'm lying. You know, and the food. The food is so insidious. It started really small. You know, it started with me eating a little leftovers off of one of my kids' plates. And it was chicken and rice. You know, it wasn't a big thing. But it didn't take me long before I started experimenting because I wanted to really see if God was working in my life. And it wasn't until 1999 when I was at the World Service Business Conference um, on the center, 
on the floor in front of over 200 compulsive overeaters. It was at that moment the light came on, and I got it. I got that I was a compulsive overeater, and I was just like everyone else in the room. And in the OA 12 and 12, at the end of step one, it talks about until we can move from the head to the heart, we have not truly taken step one. And that was true for me. And at that point, I came to believe. My relapse was relatively short. It was about six months. I believe um, there were only a couple of things that saved me. One was I was still doing my meetings, and I was still doing service, you know, and I didn't leave the rooms. No matter how big or how small I've gotten, I have always stayed here. So I'd like to move into the topic, which is adjusting the rudder, small, sustainable changes. You know, when I first got this topic, I was not a happy camper. Because on my form, I said, I want to talk about body image, sexuality, relationships. And then I get this thing, adjusting the rudder, and I go, oh, man, what is this? You know, and I sent the passage to my sponsor, you know, and she loved the passage. You know, she just got off on it, and she thought it was a great writing assignment. And um, so um, this is... This is what I came up with, and I just uh, hope to God this is what HP wants me to share. Um, what I discovered was adjusting the rudder is like trying to drive someone else's car. Sometimes the steering is tight, and it's hard to turn. Other times it's loose with a lot of power. It's knowing how much is the right amount of effort to keep me on track. If I'm at an amusement park, the cars are on a track. So it's physically impossible to go too far to the left or to the right. But in real life, this isn't true. I need boundaries and consequences to let me know I've gone too far. I have people like my husband, my sponsors, sponsorees, and healthcare professionals to help me. Who do you have to keep you on course? Small sustainable changes can be found in the tools of recovery pamphlet. Um, One of the things that I use as a sponsor is what I call a step seven plan. Okay, we have a food plan, um, we have an exercise plan, some people have a dating plan, you know, um, the plan of how you're gonna work today. And anyway, in my seven-step plan, it reminds me of my glaring defects. And as these defects pop up, I look at my plan, and it reminds me of the things that I'm willing to do to overcome my character defects. Another thing is to look at what step is coming up for me. And almost always, I always seem to find myself either at step one or step seven. You know, and so, you know, I talk to my sponsor, and then I know which other tools I need to use um, to process through that. And then I have a thing which I call things that I do in support of my abstinence. Okay, and these are some of the things that I do, and that's to read my meditation books every morning, 
to pray. I even pray in the car. Um, using the God can by surrendering um, things over to HP, um, attending a minimum of two OA meetings every week, checking in with my sponsor every week. Even before um, we left for Long Beach, I made sure I got in another meeting before coming here. Um, right now with one of my sponsorees, um, every week um, we're reading a story from the fourth edition of the big book. And in the story called He Lived Only to Drink, there's this passage which starts at the bottom of page 450 and continues on to 451. And what it says is, no matter what happened or didn't happen, I couldn't eat. In fact, none of these things that I was going through had anything to do with my absence. The tides of life flow endlessly for better or worse, both good and bad. And I cannot allow my absence to become dependent on these ups and downs of living. Absence must have a life of its own. Um, in the small sustainable changes, it's like watching the stages of child development. Um, when a baby is first born, you know, um, there's a lot of things that we do for the newborn infant. But we don't really have an expectation that immediately the baby's just like going to get up and start walking around or start talking. You know, there are stages that the baby goes through. You know, first it goes through rolling over and then sitting up and then crawling and then being able to stand up and walk. And it's the same thing with recovery. Recovery does not happen overnight. Um, one of my sponsors said, it's a lot like potty training. Okay. If any of you have ever had to um, help a child go through potty training, you know what I'm talking about. In the beginning, um, the child doesn't know that it's supposed to use certain muscles. And so there's like a lot of accidents. And then over a period of time, you're able to get the child to the bathroom in time. And eventually, you know, the child gets the connection of using the toilet appropriately. And I think it's the same thing with recovery. Um, one of the things I was told as a mom was that moms are allowed 28 mistakes a day. And um, my oldest daughter, she's 20 years old today. Um, she's, she's adopted from my first marriage. And one time I found myself in her bedroom after she had left for college. And I found this calendar that her stepmom had done with all these pictures of her when she was little. And I have to tell you, there was a great sadness that came over me because... I thought, oh, my God, where was I? I miss, I miss this little kid growing up. It's like, where was I? We were in the same household, and somehow I missed that. You know, it was like I was too busy. Either I was in the disease or I was dealing with me or I was dealing with the baby, but somehow my daughter got pushed off to the side, and I forgot about her. But what happened was as she got older, she got herself into a lot of trouble. 
Um, and part of the trouble that she got herself into, um, we believe that was her only way of letting us know she was still here. You know, she needed um, to do something so outrageous so that everybody would stop everything and they would pay attention to her. And in 2002, she did. She she did something so horrendous, it almost took her life. And and I was the only parent who could be there for her. And at first, she did not want me there because she was used to the old Shirley, the old mom. But it's like, no, that is not who I am today. You know, I can be there for you. And I did. I helped her every step of the way. And when I sent her off to college, I fell into this deep, dark depression. And I didn't really know if I could come out. You know, and once again, you know, the only thing I knew was the serenity prayer. To use my God can to surrender that over to a power greater than myself. And at the end of 2002, I was. I found the willingness and the ability, which is stated in the OA 12 and 12 in Step 3, specifically on page 23. And it talks about first we ask for the willingness and then the ability. You know, and the things that I do um, for my recovery, especially for my physical recovery, um, it's unbelievable. You know, um, my husband drove up with me, and he's eating all my old binge foods, you know, and I I look at that stuff, you know, and I said to him, I go, you know, I see all these places where I used to go, and I go, I cannot imagine going there. I cannot imagine eating these foods anymore, you know, and um, and that's because of this program. Um, I think my time's kind of running out. Okay, um, so we are in the harbor of recovery. Adjusting the rudder means to stay on course. We need to stick to our plan. Sometimes we steer off course, so we make adjustments with the small sustainable changes in 10-minute segments that bring us back to our center. Speaking of 10 minutes, on the uh, front seat, our 10-minute chips and a, a writing tool, if you'll just pass them out. Um, that uh, particular uh, writing tool was um, written and approved by the Board of Trustees back in 2002. Anyway, um, they may help you with your surrender process. For me, the center is, the higher, is my higher power, the God of my understanding. May you find him now. He's waiting on you. All you need to do is ask, and he will provide. In the meantime, just keep rowing, and it will happen in God's time. There's another story in the fourth edition of the big book. It's called Gutter Bravado. On page 511, it says, He knew what the newcomer had yet to find out. The true happiness is found in the journey, not the destination. I know I'll owe it to the grace of God 
and to three words of the 12 steps. Continue, improve, and practice. Humility is the key. I don't need to be a carbon copy of anyone else in program. I need to be true to me and my higher power. God loves me just as I am. I am enough. I have enough. And I do enough. And finally, I'd like to close with this one reading from um, Voices of Recovery. It's from June the 29th on page 181. And the quote comes from our OA 12 and 12 on page 69. And it says, Our purpose in doing step eight is not to judge others, but to learn attitudes of mercy and forgiveness. An OA friend mailed me a sand dollar and an essay he had written on perfectionism. His writing helped me let go of this character defect. The essay says to look at the sand dollar. It's not broken, but it has flaws. It may be stained and have a nipped edge or a small hole. Can you still love it? If you learn to love your perfect sand dollar, you are capable of loving the imperfect world and people around you. People have disappointed you, hurt you, and let you down by being imperfect. Can you let go of the idea of perfection and accept reality? Loving people just the way they are. Love the imperfect people around you. Love your imperfect self and your imperfect world. For if you cannot love life the way it is, you will suffer from eternal loneliness. We all live in an imperfect world, surrounded by imperfect people. The ability to love yourself and those around you is a gift from God that enables you to live fully, bravely, and meaningfully in an imperfect world. Thanks a lot. Thank you, Shirley. We will now have 10 minutes of questions from the Ask It Basket. Um, There are two. Uh, One, small sustainable changes. Please name two that have been part of your journey and have aided your recovery. take that one. I'll take two of them. Um, the question was, or the, to name two sustainable changes? Right, it's right here. Oh, okay. Two that have been part of your journey and have aided your recovery. Well, one of them is, as I said in my talk, was to imagine how I could behave um, differently. And um, another one for me was being willing to follow a food plan, which that was a big deal for me because I, I didn't want to do that. So, um, and I did that only one day at a time. For me, um, 
One of the tools of recovery, um, which is, has been absolutely critical to my recovery, is sponsorship. I'm one of those people that cannot be without a sponsor. And even though the San Jose area, um, we have really good, strong recovery, and a lot of people with long-time recovery and absence, I had to get really creative because I had a lot of difficulty in finding someone who was willing to sponsor me. Um, the woman um, who is my um, my friend and my sponsor, um, we originally started in a co-sponsorship relationship. And so we kind of switched hats. And um, that has been wonderful. And the other thing is not losing the conscious contact with my higher power. You know, I just, every day, it's kind of like finding different ways. And I'm also one of these people that tend to do multitasking. So, um, Anything that I can do and, and still be have that connection with my higher power really works for me. Thank you. Please describe difficulties of incremental changes in your food plan and how you overcame those obstacles. Well, as you can uh, see from my pictures, um, my body size has been um, all over the ballpark, so to speak. And it, it has nothing to do with um, binging or compulsive overeating. What it had to do with me not knowing um, how much was enough, you know. Um, and... Um, you know, I did the weigh, weigh and measuring thing, you know, and sometimes I thought I didn't really need to weigh and measure, um, but today I do. I weigh, I weigh and measure not only my food, but my body, um, and I write it all down, but I don't believe in using a food sponsor, you know. Um, what I do is I commit everything to my higher power, and, and I have discussions with my sponsor. And right now, I'm still working with a nutritionist because um, I couldn't get the help that I needed um, inside these rooms. Hmm. Well, it takes you 10 years to get abstinent. You definitely have difficulties with your food plan. So, um, and how did I overcome those? Is there a big book here? Is this the big book? Yeah. Let me see. One day, um, you know, after trying to stay abstinent for 10 years and not being able to stay abstinent, I was wondering what is the problem? And I was reading the big book and I found it in chapter 3, more about compulsive overeating. Somebody's got it highlighted. It's the uh, first paragraph. It says, um, the idea that somehow, someday, she will control and enjoy her eating is the great obsession of every abnormal eater. The persistence of this illusion is astonishing. That was me. You know, I just wanted to be normal. 
I wanted to go to a restaurant with my friends and have a piece of cake or a dessert or just order whatever I wanted and be done with it like they were. I wanted to have a roll, put it on my plate, and be done with it like they were. But what happened is every time I went to the restaurant and had a roll, everybody else was having conversation, enjoying each other, and I was trying to figure out how I wasn't going to eat the rest of the rolls in the basket. So for me, the incremental changes in my food plan took, again, one day at a time. You know, I had to become willing to make a plan every day and follow it. Because for me, if I try to ad-lib my food, you know, forget about it. I'm a compulsive overeater. I don't get to ad-lib. You know, and I have to figure it out ahead of time because if I try to figure it out as I go along, that's all I think about. You know, if you want me to do anything else, forget about it. You know, it just doesn't work that way for me. And I keep coming back to this, page 30 of the, uh, I think this is the third edition. Is this the third edition? Fourth edition. Page 30 of the fourth edition. Um, and it's probably the same since it's the first 164 pages. The idea that somehow, someday, she will control and enjoy her eating is the great obsession of every compulsive overeater. So I had to give up that idea. Thank you. We will now have open sharing. We will have time for three shares. If you have already shared in another workshop, please please give others a chance before you come forward. Limit your share to three minutes. Stay on the topic and sign the tape release form after you share. I'm not sharing. My name is Eddie. I'm a grateful recovering compulsive overeater, and I'm uh, really grateful to be here. Um, I guess different things were running through my mind as I've heard the, the uh, uh, two speakers, and, and um, one is about connecting the dots of life. And I, I um, when I was little, it was never okay to feel the way I felt. It was never okay to do what I did. It was never okay to think what I thought because I always should have thought another way. I should have done something else and um, I should have felt something else. So I really was always in this sort of quandary about, you know, I wonder what how this all works, you know. And, um, and I've had moments of clarity through my life and I had this, you know, some, some things connect, you know, some, some dots connect and some dots just don't connect. And... Um, I did have the experience of living a long time in in, uh, in South America, and I find myself drawn to go um, actually to Central America to live. And, and um, you know, um, it really doesn't have to make sense except to me. It's the only truth that's really valuable is what the, what the truth is inside. And I was in um, Central America just recently, and this person said to me, you know, well, tell me why you're here. You know, what, what do you like? You know, what, what's, what's the reason? 
And uh, he's kind of a comical sort of person, just sort of joking. And I said, well, you know, one of the things is, I said, I, when I speak Spanish, I feel much more alive. And I said, but I really don't tell people that because I think like, you know, really think I'm really, you know, like wacky, uh, you know, off the wall. And he said, well, you know, the bottom line is, tell your truth. You'll be surprised what might happen. Other people will probably tell you their truth, too. And, uh, you know, he wasn't in any kind of recovery program. I thought, i got to take you to my 12-step meetings, you know. So, anyway, I think um, that's one of the things that I learned today. For each one of us, there's um, truth. And that's that what was just read is, is something that still is in my mind. Someday I will be whatever is normal. And I used to pretend to be normal. I've acted as if I'm normal. And it's not working. So um, I think it's okay to just be recovering. Thank you. Hello, I'm Corey. I'm a compulsive overeater. Thank you both for your your pitches. It was wonderful to hear you both. Um, You know, for me, uh, the attraction of this workshop is that, you know, I'm a kind of person who likes to make global changes, not incremental changes. I like to turn over a new leaf. Tomorrow it's going to be different. I'm going to do this, 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 and this. I have a history of, for instance, uh, going through the cupboards and the refrigerator and taking piles of food out and dumping them and going shopping and buying different things to replace them, changing my food plan, in other words, um, of reading a book and subscribing to a different diet. Um, you know, ad infinitum. I mean, there's got to be a 100,000 diet books out there. And, um, you know, and I even went searching... Uh, you know, in used bookstores, I'd get ones that were out before I was born and try those, you know. And and, uh, and I really uh, messed myself up doing that, actually. Um, I tried one food plan in particular that's been pretty popular recently and uh, just about killed myself with it because uh, I believe I got a severe... Uh, case of diverticulitis with it and that's been a continuing problem for me since that happened but I think it was because of this one food plan you know that I didn't do incrementally you know I did globally I just suddenly tried to change and and uh, it just doesn't work for me and I know that today Um, I today what I need to do is to change things gradually, to drop things that aren't working, you know, and make small choices, small decisions, not big decisions. And, and, um, and that's been helpful for me. You know, recently I um, read another book and, uh, <laughs> and decided I needed to get tested for food allergies. So I sent my money off to this place in Florida where they took a blood sample and, you know, and did this testing. And 
you know, came back with this list of like 15 different foods that I'm allegedly some degree of allergic to. And, you know, right at the top of the list, coffee and carrots. You know, this is a guy who drinks a pot of coffee a day when he's not, you know, trying to be healthy and fasting, in which case he's drinking a gallon of carrot juice a day. You know. And, I mean, you know, and anyway, so, and there I was, you know, uh, having, feeling like I had to globally shift everything. And, um, you know, and, and uh, I've um, been able to implement a lot of the restrictions that are imposed by that testing just gradually, you know, substituting. Uh, so I drink tea. You know, once in a while I'll have coffee, but mostly tea instead. And reducing caffeine along the way has been a good thing. Um, you know, as far as uh, my participation in Overeaters Anonymous, you know, I find that um, I have to keep that in mind, what Annette shared, um, that I am a compulsive overeater, and left to my own devices, that's what I'll do. I'll, I'll eat, you know. So... Uh, what I need is to use as many of the tools as I'm comfortable with and to incrementally or gradually try and use a tool a little more. Try to talk to someone. Try to pick up the phone. You know, try to... Um, the thing I have to watch out for, though, is the food plan. You know, um, I can work on the food plan incrementally. That's fine. Change a little thing with breakfast. Change a little thing with lunch. But to try and wipe the, clay, the slate clean and start over again, for me, is a danger sign today. So I'm watching out for that. And thank you for listening. I'm Ray. I'm a compulsive overeater. Hello. Um, yesterday I came into program two years, nine months ago, and maintaining a um, 145-pound weight loss. And thank you. Maybe it'll you know go a little higher, but um, a few weeks ago I was down to 175. I had a fever, so that's half my body weight, um, but I wasn't comfortable there. Um, I know that I have to stay connected. Um, talked about catechism in third grade. I missed the the bus going to catechism. The next week I was um, scared to get on the bus. So at public school I hid um, during lunch and didn't get on that bus for catechism. And that was the first time I strayed away from my higher power. And I ended up getting kicked out of that school, um, the public school. Nothing to you know, the relation to catechism was I didn't go, and and um, other times I strayed away from my higher power and got caught in drug, got caught with drugs, in drugs, jail, whatever, um, alcohol, and um, I tell myself 
well, you gave up the alcohol, you gave up the drugs, why can't you um, give up the food? And um, it was my higher power's will at his time for me to um, find a way. And um, I never knew anybody, nobody ever told me about it. Maybe I'd seen a flyer 10 years ago. And um, the seed was planted. And finally, I seen the ad in the paper it was never in the paper again in the what's happening today section. Um, but I knew I was ready and willing um, the first meeting. I had the truck started, my daughter's six inside the house, and um, left her inside alone until my wife pulled up and said, I have to go. Um, it, you have to accept yourself exactly how you are. Um, not, well, exactly, but... I went out for a bodybuilding contest and probably was 175 and didn't know I was a compulsive overeater, over-dieted. And so from there I went up to 350 pounds, double my weight. And um, so for me, as far as the perfect body um, that they talk about there, if there's such a thing as accepting your body, um, Exactly like you are, you know, your higher power does and, you know, and when we can do it ourselves, we can start giving away and it doesn't matter, you know, what size or another um, small things is spreading the message, carrying the message, um, program of attraction. When I get a compliment at the gym or something, whether they need it or not, um, I couldn't have done it without OA. And, um, you know, I have to remind myself that um, I'm on the liver transplant list um, from Hep C and it's been in remission the beginning of the year. I had a bad depression um, and remind myself, um, you know, where I was before and, and where I am now. And um, that takes care of um, depression. And and I know that I need to keep coming back. My hungers for meetings. Um, went to a retreat last weekend. To meeting. Car almost broke down. Going to San Francisco. Um, came around and came home. And then got another car and got to catch half hour of that meeting. Wednesday went to a day meeting. Wednesday night meeting. And then Thursday got ready to come here, and um, I know I need meetings, I need the steps, I need everybody here. Thank you. Thank you, Annette and Shirley, for your share, and thank you, Eddie and Corey and Ray. Um, Corey and, and Ray, if you could sign the release later. Um, it is now time to close this workshop. Will you please join me in a moment of silence followed by the serenity prayer? God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Thank you.